Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the ChawFit. Over the course of the past year, the ChawFit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourselves as well. If you use this code, SpearChop10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SpearChop10 for $10 off your ChawFit order. It'll change your life. Thank you. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. And today we are welcoming the wonderful Ken Kurzinger. Ken is an acclaimed uh, stuntman. He's also an actor that has portrayed some of my favorite characters from Jason Voorhees and Freddy vs. Jason, Rusty Nail and Joyride 3, and Pa and Wrong Turn 2. Uh, as you can see, he's well versed in horror. Uh, I consider him a horror icon. He's played some incredible franchises, uh, but he's also done some amazing work on television and other movies as well through his stunt work. And uh, Ken, it's great to have you on here. Nice to be here, John. Thanks for giving me a call. No, no problem. It's uh, it's one of those things. I know we were just kind of talking before we hit record here about uh, the conventions and stuff. I know you're a big part of that for obvious reasons. But in the last year or so, obviously that wasn't happening and stuff. Were you able still to kind of keep a relationship going with your fans, whether through social media or stuff? Or Because I know fans, uh, for nine times out of ten, resonate with your character you play because whatever emotions you're feeling and you 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 get you feed off their energy as well so without the conventions how do you kind of help fans and stuff that might reach out to you in terms of hey man i wish i could give you a hug or that type of stuff well you know what um i have never been on any social media um it's not that i have anything against it or i'm worried about it it's just not anything that i got into um so really, um, there's very few fans that I contact uh, outside, you know, seeing them at conventions and stuff like that. And, and that makes even that more special for me. Uh, I have one or two that uh, that that are really special. And uh, actually, I'd like to throw a shout out to uh, Shana Keebler. I'm going to put her onto this and, and uh, so she can say that I or see that I said hi to her. She just finished uh, writing a book and, and uh, she's a terrific girl and uh, just wanted to encourage her writing uh, i'm sort of big into writing myself um scripts short stories and uh so uh yeah i i am not that in touch with uh, i don't have books and bobbleheads and all that kind of stuff so um it, it's really great to see them at the conventions it kind of adds to your lore too because you're not sure where you are at where you're going to be uh in terms of the actual getting back to work stunt work acting and stuff like that how has that been for you in terms of the last year and a half now jumping into when you're allowed to do it safely and stuff like that? Um, you know, I, I, I sort of retired a while ago. And uh, when the whole COVID thing hit, 
Uh, my wife still works in the film business. And uh, so I was kind of the support system for her. Uh, you know, I still audition for some stuff here and there. And, and uh, I kind of retired from stunt work. And because and, uh, you got to realize I put over 30 years into, into right. the business. And 30 years of filmmaking is like 60 years because of all the hours you put in. And uh, so I work hard and, and uh, now I'm kind of just enjoying, uh, enjoying this time and finding new interests and, and writing is a big one. Um, you know, I'd love to break into uh, writing scripts uh, professionally and, and uh, writing stories. And, and uh, so, um, yeah, I, I, the last year and a half, I haven't done a convention in oh, over a year uh, at least. Right. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, I'm just, uh, enjoying what I did do. Now, in those 30 years, that's a lot of years spent doing a lot of stunt work as well. That must be good for your body too, in terms of the wear and tear, and you can actually live a somewhat full and healthy life as opposed to some of these men and women that love what they do, but as they get older, you can kind of see them losing their kind of uh, balance between the stunt work and their actual real life. So that's kind of cool that you can kind of still be involved with writing, but yeah. you can also not have to worry about laying yourself on fire, or submerging yourself in an ice tank. Uh, I think if somebody actually called me to light myself on fire, I would do that because that's one of the easiest ones where you don't really get hurt unless they're going to hit you with a car or something like that. Um, but yeah, the tool, you know, I played college basketball and football. I had my injuries doing that and then got in, and then got into stunt work and um yeah, the injury rate in foot in uh, stunt work, uh, just like it is in most professional sports, it's 100%. You're, you're going to get injured. And uh, that was one of the reasons I, I uh, retired was because, uh, you know, the doctors were saying, you know, you got to, uh, you know, stop doing, you know, the hard ground pounder stuff. And, and uh, I just thought, you know, stunt coordinating is, is interesting. Um, but it's, it's not what I got in the business for. I love, doing stunts it was just so much fun and i just uh, you know i realized the other day i was watching hooper yep you know, about two weeks ago hadn't seen it in a bunch of years and you know i was bored and and put hooper on i realized that pretty much every stuntman of my generation that i knew wanted to be hooper and yep. uh, i i started remembering all these situations where various stunt people enacted scenes from that movie uh whether it's you know, partying all night and then going and watching, you know, the stunt reel at the end of the night with a bunch of friends and stuff and having a few drinks and, and doing that or, or, you know, some of the other not quite legal things were in the movie. Um, but, but everybody wanted to be Hooper. And, uh, it, you know, I got into it because it was a fun, fun business. And, uh, you know, I, I just couldn't imagine doing anything else. Now, you kind of told me, we were reaching out talking to each other about you coming on the show, and you kind of told me about your brief, but it seemed very interesting background, insecurity, bouncing, club security, backstage at different concerts as you're a young kid. So could you kind of touch upon, did that action backstage, dealing with the hustle bustle Hollywood music, did that kind of get your interest going to maybe one day become an actor or get involved in the Hollywood lifestyle? Um. I read an article about a stuntman when I was like 12 years old, uh, Hal Needham. And uh, I plugged that into my head. I always loved watching movies and stuff like that. And I thought, you know, I, I'd like to be a stuntman one day. And as time went on, uh, I was in college and I blew my knee out playing football. And my sister was living in Los Angeles and, and I ended up going down to visit her. That's how I got into stunt work. 
the the working backstage stuff though gave you a taste of real celebrity what what uh, what they go through and uh, you know how protected they have to be and uh, the price of real fame and uh, so it was interesting from that perspective and sort of taught me when I got on sets uh, you know how to better behave around you know celebrities and and people who are inundated with with fans and stuff like that all the time so <clears throat> it was a you know educational from that point growing up i always my grandparents and my parents obviously they'd always hey just when i started young age start watching evil could evil and all these these daredevil type people the the pet dragons and all this crazy stuff and it wasn't until i was older that i really appreciate what this guy did evil in terms of the putting himself out there for maybe there's selfish reasons a little bit of it maybe some ego on his part but to put himself out there to be that type of person I don't, if I really love stunt work and I would see that, I, I would not stop until I became a stuntman. And I, I think, is that something too, where you watch people like that or Hooper or stuff where it's like, man, these, you see how people, every language, doesn't matter what background, you see this guy jump over, think of buses or flaming tire, whatever it is, and you're in awe of the spectacle of it. I think there's something really to that. You know, it's the same, I think, with anything you want to do is passion. If you have a passion for it, and, and, you know, you have to have the ability to, but I think the passion will create the ability. You might not be the best at it to start, but if you work hard enough, you know, you, you can get there. And so if you have enough passion for something, it makes all the difference in the world. If you're doing it just for the money, uh, you know, it's hard to get up in the morning. But uh, I remember driving to work, top down, my big stunt bag beside me and being the happiest man in the world. You know, the sun was up and I was going to wreck a car or, get set on fire or whatever I was doing that day. And, and, uh, you know, I had that passion and I think, you know, I think you probably had a passion for your security work, yeah. you know, you, and you do that and then you develop a, you might develop a passion for another thing, which is what you're doing now, which, which is fantastic. And I, I really encourage that in people to find what their passion is, you know, and don't make it about the money. The money will come. No, and I love that. Uh, it's, for me, like obviously with the pandemic, I start this podcast and I'm still obviously still doing security with bands and all that stuff. But the, for me to wake up every morning, I do need to find that passion every day, whether that's uh, do, getting the workout that I need or reading a book or whatever it is, the passion. The, the people I see, they're very unsuccessful in security business. But obviously you can attest to in stunt work or acting. They lose that, that fire in their eye. And it's, it's the saddest thing to see someone that has all that potential and not to fulfill it. Yes. And, uh, you know, it, it, it can really drive people to accomplish amazing things. And uh, so I just encourage that in everyone I meet. And, right. uh, and, and, and if you lose your passion for something, find another one. Right. You know, find, that, find that reason to get up in the morning and where you're really excited about doing what you're doing. Now, you mentioned your stunt bag next to you. What exactly is inside a stunt bag? <laughs> everything. I mean, everything. <laughs> So my stunt bag is about, uh, or, or is about four feet long and, and about two feet around, you know, big duffel bag, got my name printed on the outside of it. And, uh, every pad I own fits in that bag. Plus, you know, some of my fire gear, um, car stuff, whatever I think I might need is in that bag. So I can throw that in my car and go virtually do you know, pretty much any stunt that, you know, that's required 
um, you know, besides all the rigging and cable and, you know, all that stuff. But, uh, but, uh, you know, I used to call it my, my, my midget bag, because it was, it, you could easily put a small person in there and carry them around. Uh, but uh, yeah, so, you know. When it comes to preparing for a stunt for a another actor in a movie versus you as the actor in that movie, do you, is your preparation, mental or physical, change at all in terms of how you prepare for what you're about to do? Not, not really. I mean, when you're doubling somebody, you have to become that person. The way they move um, is very important. You, you know, you'll, you know, I had a friend of mine who doubled Robin Williams for many years, and and uh, I mean, he learned to move just like Robin and and. Uh, um, so that's the difference when you're playing yourself, you're, you don't have to worry about that. And, uh, you know, you, you, you would all, you, you would be able to see a difference on screen between those two. In, uh, Freddie versus Jason, in terms, you actually had to play Jason. So how does that, like in terms of insurance and like the director and whoever it is in the movie, they need you to play Jason, but do they bring in another stuntman to do the crazy stunts or you kind of push it back on, Hey, I could do this, or I should be able to do this since I'm, I'm doing yeah. both or how does that work? Well, um, so I worked on number eight, Jason takes Manhattan yeah. as the stunt coordinator. And I, and I doubled, uh, Kane Hodder, the guy that played, uh, you know, uh, Jason in that one. And, um, you know, Kane was, uh, it was a big enough budget movie that they didn't want to risk, uh, risk him for the car hit, uh, Sometimes they have two units going and they need another Jason on the other set uh, to do, and they'll use me to do the stunt uh, and let him go do his acting thing. And so, you know, I have to take on his persona of the character, like in the subway sequence, Yes. Uh, you know, walking on the subway and then falling out and getting electrocuted. You know, I had to try and pretend I was, I was him. Um, and in, in Freddie versus Jason, you know, we developed a new body language for, for Jason in that movie and uh, because they wanted him to be more sympathetic, I think, uh, and yet uh, be the, you know, big monster that, uh, that fans were used to. So, uh, yeah. One of the, one of our fans, Lori was wondering in terms of when you become Jason hiding behind the mask or say, pa, uh, wrong turn uh, two, you, if, if you're ever in a role where you, your face is distorted, you can't cover, no one can really see your emotions, how, does, how tough is it for you to act and still show that empathy towards a character like Jason? You can't see your, really can't see your facial expressions behind the mask, but somehow when you watch that movie, you, especially in the, the dream sequence where he's in the water and stuff, you actually feel sorry for him. Is, did you take, I look at that going, well, this guy that's playing Jason is actually playing Jason as a human, as opposed to this meandering Neanderthal who just kills people. So how do you kind of convey emotion underneath the mask or like heavy makeup? You know, uh, people have asked that before, and, and I think about it, you know, like 90% of our language is body language. You know, probably when you were working security and you see somebody and they stand out because of their body language and you keep an eye on that person because you sense their body language. And that is what happens when you play a character like that. And uh, you have to emote just as much or even more with when your face is covered and people pick up on it. You know, they, they, they see the shoulders come up and, and you're scared. They see your body language move forward and, and you're being aggressive, you know? Uh, uh, so it's, it's there for them to read. It's, it's more uh, a subconscious reading, but, uh, but people pick up on it. It's, 
today's it's obviously the movies, the Avengers, and you got uh, Avengers, X Men. You got every all these characters fighting each other. Um, but when I when you first Freddy vs Jason first comes out, that's the first time two rival franchises go head to head like that. It must be pretty cool for you to say you were part of that history in terms of movies because now it almost happens every other week on tv or movies but you guys and robert england you were at the forefront of this crazy idea that uh is just awesome you know i i just found out it was a little cooler the other day because um uh, apparently hugh jackman said that he would love to play yes. jason <laughs> i wish i wish i had known that when i worked with him i did uh one of the x-men three i think i was doubling Colossus and uh, you know I had this scene where I had to grab him and spin him around and throw him and he, he was on cables and stuff and I wish I had uh, mentioned it to him or or he had brought that up or we or I knew that I I, uh, I did a stunt fight once with uh, with Ben Affleck and he found out that I had played Jason and he was like you played Jason that's so cool you know um, so I always say, you know, Jason is famous and I was really lucky that I got to play him. Um, it's very cool. And I, I love Kane. He's very passionate. CJ Graham, veteran, uh, military veteran, awesome guy as well. So when you guys kind of see each other, um, is there everything weird that you have like that weird, like I was, I was a taller Jason or I was the biggest or I had the best kill or is it one of those things where you were all lucky and fortunate to play an iconic character and then when you're at conventions and see each other, it's like, Hey, like this is, this is a pretty cool part of this. Um, it, 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 it was weird in the beginning uh, because Kane was right. very upset that he didn't get to play it. And, right. uh, and I think he took it out on me a little bit. Um, well, for quite a few, for a few years. And uh, I think he finally grew out of that, you know, he sort of pulled me aside one day and he goes, you know, that's over. And, uh, but it, 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 it can get a little weird with him because he's so much wants to identify with the character and stuff. Right. And he's really made a, you know, great career out of it and stuff. Um, the rest of the guys are very easygoing and, and, uh, you know, we're, we're losing a couple, we, you know, we lost yeah. a couple, which I'm very sad about. And, uh, you know, Ted White, uh, love the guy. Yep. He's like 90 four now or something like that um such a great stunt career and uh, love seeing him and, and and so when we get together it's all great it's it's uh, you know we have uh, nobody's uh, you know we, we get along when you were obviously were you a fan of friday the 13th before or did you had you watched the other joy rides or seen wrong turn one where you kind of like i want to play in this world so how do you kind of get Obviously, they know your background with stunts. You can play these imposing figures. Uh, how does that kind of is it? Is it crazy for you to be part of three other or two other world like famous franchises in horror? Um, you know, some of that came because I played Jason and Freddy versus Jason. They wanted me to be in their movies because of that, and right. uh, so and I had played a lot of done a lot of what I call suit jobs. Uh, you know, playing a werewolf or a robot or. You know, and then these other jobs came along, and and uh, um, I did not know what a big deal it was to play Jason. Um, uh, it's just th that iconic and worldwide that uh, people, you know, know that character all over the world. That's what got weird. That, that's uh, you know, when I was doing the job, people started coming up to me, and they don't, you know, how what a big deal this is. I didn't know what a big deal it was. 
you know, I, I'm not on social media and stuff like right. that. And then my relatives started saying, look at all this stuff. And, and um, then one day Robert and I were doing a uh, radio show, I, I think in San Diego. And uh, we came out of the radio station and there was about 15, 20 people waiting outside. And uh, that's when I knew, you know, this is crazy. This is really, really a big deal. One of the uh, year, uh, 2018 before the pandemic, I'm out on the road shine down. We have a day off in Calgary, and this is horror convention. Ted Raby, uh, D. Wallace, Robert England's there, Meatloaf. Well, we're just talking next to, I think, Nick Castle. And then the guitar player, Zach, starts talking to Robert. Hey, this is who I am, blah, blah, blah. And it felt like Robert, he knew every stuntman, every coordinator, every key grip, every. Is that something where you guys obviously you know the other side of it because you are the stunt guy you are the you're behind the scenes as well how awesome is it when you see like these these main actors actually remember who people are and be so like like thankful to someone who has to double robert or you know it, it just kind of blew my mind I was like man this is a guy that i've watched his movies growing up scared the hell out of me as a kid but here he is talking about the guy that served catering and the backstage during dream warriors and i'm just like i don't it's amazing Robert has an amazing memory. It I mean, scared me. <laughs> you want to know the best restaurant in Amsterdam or the best hotel, or you want to talk about actors and or uh, stunts? And uh, he has an amazing memory. And uh, you know, he, I love working with him. He was just so great right off the bat. And uh, as a matter of fact, the first time I saw him, he goes. Well, we'll be seeing each other for the rest of our lives now. And I, I didn't know why. And I said, why is that? And he goes, conventions. I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so, uh, yeah, he's an amazing guy, Robert. Uh, really enjoy his company. And, and his wife, Nancy, is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. One of your other great characters, obviously, Rescue Dale and Joy, Road, Joy Ride 3. And what I love about the character is that if he wasn't bothered or like harassed or whatever, he would have just kept driving down the road. And, and I find that type of horror really uh, just very mesmerizing. You play the character like, hey, if you left me alone, you, we wouldn't be this predicament. But now that we are, I'm going to play by my rules. And so for a character like that, how fun is it to kind of kind of create something like that where it's you really do kind of, you know what, he might, he might deserve to kill these people. Well, I think people can identify with, boy, I'd like to do that. You know, I mean, yeah. you only have to look at all the accounts of road rage and, and people getting upset. And these days, I think people get less polite. Uh, you know, politeness was a big deal way back in the day, because, you know, if you weren't, somebody would call you out for a duel. You know, or, <laughs> or, and, and these days, people don't realize, you know, as much, I think the, uh, you know, being polite to people, I, I have a, just one theory on, on, on life. And that is, uh, you know, being a good person doesn't guarantee you that good things will happen to you, but it vastly increases the odds. So if you if you go out and, you know, it's, you know, I think Will Smith said in one of his movies, uh, don't start nothing, don't start nothing and there won't be nothing. Right. <laughs> and and uh, so, you know, people, I think being polite, understanding that maybe somebody's having a bad day, letting it go. Um, you know, is, is much better than, than, than the alternative, than exercising your rights, you know, uh, because you can, you know. Right. One of our followers, Fernando, was wondering, myself too, it, it, what was your toughest stunt you've had to do so far? And is there a particular stunt that you are really fond of doing where 
uh, whether it's fire, car, car crash, something like that? Um, I think one that I was sort of particularly proud of was um, I was doubling Jeff Goldblum in a movie called Hideaway. And, oh, uh, and have you seen that movie? It's <laughs> um, an old one, but um, and we had to do there's a scene where he's coming down the mountain with his family and he's driving the car and they're talking kind of distracted. And there's a gravel truck coming up the mountain. And uh, so I had to slide the car sideways and hit the front of the uh, gravel truck you know, 50 miles an hour and then spin off and then uh, go car goes off the side of the road. And uh, that was that main that sequence. But there's more to that. See that part of the sequence. There's more to that sequence. But but um, uh, I did it first take right in the camera crosshairs. Uh, if I'd been too deep, you would have T-boned me. And, uh, you know, that would have been, you know, a, a tough knock to take. And if I had gone too shallow, the stunt wouldn't have worked. And, uh, you know, so I was pretty, pretty happy with that one. Um, it one's that always sticks out in my mind. Now, with Freddy vs. Jason, the, the, the cord seed with the fire, was that you or is that? Is, the, that, the... that was uh, Glenn Ennis. Um, he is a good friend of mine. He ended up doubling me for that sequence. That was the only sequence I went to the producers at the beginning of the, when they told me I had the job. And, they, I, and I knew that I was going to have a double. I said, listen, there's only one stunt I want to do in this movie. That's the fire in the cornfield. Because I knew that it would get nominated for a World Stunt Award. Yes. And, uh, but they, they wouldn't let me do it. But I'll tell you the funny part about, you know, they go, no, Ken, you're, the, you know, you're the, one of the stars of the movie. You're, we're hiring you as an actor. So the last night of filming, uh, uh, Glenn was dressed in the right costume for I think the hand coming out of the ground or something like that. And they're going, you know, uh, Ken, would you do the ratchet out of the back of the van when the van flips? And I go, and I'm back to being expendable again. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I said, yeah, I'll do the ratchet out of the back of the van. The the scene in the water though, into that movie, when your eyes are open, like that looks super real. Like, like th that was obviously you, but what's that? How do you film a scene like that? Is it a a hot a water tank or yeah we were, film, we were filming up the uh, wave we had uh, it's called the wave tank at the uh, ubc they use it to test boats and um so we were shooting in there and they poured all kinds of uh you know chlorine and debris in the water to make it look real and so the hard part was i was supposed to keep my eye open my or my eyes open one only one one was prosthetic built into right. the mask and the other was my real eye. But um, anyway, I just sink into water with my eye open and I kept getting debris oh. in it and stuff like that. And uh, the chlorine was just burning. And I think we did, you know, five or six takes of that. And that was, that was probably the hardest, hardest thing of the show. The organization Studs Canada, uh, is that something that is like a, a film, their film, if a film comes up to Canada, they want to hire a stud team, they reach out to Studs Canada. Like, how does that work? Yeah, so in in the states, it uh, started the there's the Stuntman's Association, Stunts Unlimited, and then a whole plethora of of, of uh, new groups that are out there. Uh, so Stunts Canada was initially formed to uh, provide professional stuntmen to the film business when they when they would come to Canada, so that they could go there and say, okay, we're because anybody can say they're stuntman and make right. up a bit of a resume and stuff like that. Um, so it was created so that the producers could, you know, go and hire reliable, experienced stunt people. And it's Very really, cool. it's grown into, it's the oldest 
uh, stunt group in Canada. I can't tell you how much better the stunt guys are now than than we were back then. Um, you know, they tend to specialize more and uh, now, and and uh, so anytime you do that, you're going to be better at the car stuff, better at the ratchet stuff, better at the fight stuff. Um, so it, 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 the group is really just phenomenal these days, and and uh, of course does huge projects, um, you know, all over the world, uh, right. but but mainly in Canada. When it comes to a big fight scene like the X Men movies or uh, some of the Thirteenth Warrior, like all this crazy like fight stuff going on, people on horses over here. In terms of the layout of that movie, how much control is the, is the director give the stunt coordinator? bring all you guys into a room and say, hey, we're going to rehearse this, obviously. But how many takes does that take to film something that's so, that was so much craziness going on? The, the, my biggest experience with that was uh, working on, um, came out as the 13th, uh, 13th Warrior. Eaters of the Antonio Dead. Antonio Banderas. Yes. yes. And uh, um, my buddy was coordinating. He called me up to come help him coordinate. I was already going to work on it doing stunts. but And we had, you know, hundreds of head of horses. We had, you know, nearly a hundred stunt people working on set. We had big, big battle scenes. And uh, so we would meet with the director. The director would tell us his vision. You know, we all have the script, so we read it, right. but the director gives you his vision. You get an idea sometimes of the shots he wants to do. But I think in that situation, on that movie, we had to be ready for just about anything at any time. Um, and it just takes a lot of organization, a lot of forethought. Um, you know, preparation is everything. Uh, if you're if you're prepped and organized, it, it goes off smoothly. I think it's important to point out that even if we if we're not talking about an action movie or a horror movie or something with a lot of crazy stunts, even movies where someone just simply falls down the steps or puts their hand through a coffee table or runs into a door, those actors still have stunt men or stunt women doing that stuff. And I think that's really cool that people always expect. Oh, superhero movies, there's Stoney, there's Robert Downey's Iron Man stunt man. But no, that same stunt double's probably doing something in another movie that's no action whatsoever, but some simple mistake could derail this movie. It's really cool that the stunt men and women actually get to do all types of movies. It's it's really cool. Yeah. yeah, it's it's part of the thrill of it for me was you know, I always said to myself, I never wanted to be in the same place doing the same thing with the same people. Uh, I needed I get bored easily and and uh Stunt work was great for that. You know, I'd get a phone call to go. Uh, I got a good story about uh, Burt Reynolds. Uh, so, so, so I was doubling an actor on a movie called Malone uh, with Burt Reynolds, and yep. uh, um, they had kept me sitting around and I, and for a few days, and I was booked on another show in Calgary. And I kept telling him, I go, listen, I got a hard date. I got to go. Um, and the stunt was uh, the, the character gets shot in the head and then falls through a trap door on the second floor of a barn and, and falls and falls through. And uh, I had a bloody squib pack on the back of my head full of cottage cheese and fake blood and, uh, and a wig on over that. And uh, so we finally get to it. And I was, I was like, my, my flight's book, I gotta go and they go, okay. So they reorganized the day to shoot me out that day. And I get up there with, uh, with Burt Reynolds and I'm like, Burt Reynolds, Hooper, <laughs> I was standing right in front of me. And uh, so we do the shot, boom, one take, I do the fall and uh, I got to go straight to the airport. Not any time to clean the cottage cheese and blood out of my hair. 
<laughs> so I put on a big, my, my Stunts Canada hat. I go straight to the airport and I get on the flight and people are looking at me like, you know, are you, are you all right? <laughs> Have you hit your head or anything like that? Uh, I wore that shit all the way to Calgary and, and uh, checked into the hotel with it in, in my hair and everything. But uh, I loved it. I was <laughs> just like, I got to go. Yeah. No, I love that. When you're watching a, a movie now, or I don't know if you're really into watching movies or TV and stuff, but Sorry. When, you are, when you are doing that, watching TVs, are you watching it, looking at the stunts going, I could have done that better, or why did they do it this way? Or do you kind of just, once you're not part of the production, you don't kind of quarterback something like that? Uh I, I, I can, obviously, if I see a really exceptional stunt, uh, you know, I pay attention to it. Um, I still enjoy going to, one of my favorite things is going to a movie theater and buying popcorn and watching it on the big screen. Um, stunt work these days is, it's hard to tell what's real and what's fake these days. I mean, they're doing such amazing work of blending. Um, so it, it, I, I can still, I still put on, you know, my little kid, glasses and and love going to the theater and watching it and for all the same reasons I did when I was younger um but uh it's it certainly you you know you see some amazing stunts now you mentioned you you're, you're going to start writing and doing all this stuff are you going to be writing from the sense of man I could write a really cool stunt seat here or I could write a really good action scene like that must help you creatively kind of put together some really cool pieces yeah, you know, it's, it's uh, the, for me and the way I was educated in the stunt business, the, the action always services the story. Uh, so when I'm writing, that's what it does. I, I don't write a, a story around a stunt. I write the stunt around the story. Uh, but it certainly helps because I, you know, I know what can be done and how and, and uh, so it helps that way. Do you, I know obviously the last 10 years or so there's been uh more of a soul pushed uh, or a award recognition for stunt men and women. Um, I think it's the Saturn Award, the Jupiter Award, whatever they are. Uh, but do you think there's enough being done to honor uh, stunt men and women, or is it something where they can still improve upon that? The more mainstream uh, award yes. show type stuff. There, there still isn't an award, an Academy Award for stuntmen. I think it's the only department that doesn't have an award. And I know that uh, people are working to try to make that happen. Um, the, the awards I think you're thinking about are called the uh, Taurus Awards. Yes, Taurus Awards, yep. And, uh, and I got <laughs> another funny story about this, this one of those I went to. Um, anyway, it, it, uh, yes, I think that stunt people should uh, get more. I was raised in the business where uh, you still didn't tell people you were doubling the actor. Uh, Kane Hodder came to me on number eight and said, hey, don't tell anybody you doubled me, okay? I, all right. Uh, you know, that's the way I was raised in the business. Um, we were there to, so that people didn't know. Um, and that, you know, now it's, it's more out there and, you know, that you don't worry about that. And I think that they do deserve uh, more recognition, at least with the, uh, with the Academy. One of the, uh, and that's really drastically changing the subject here, but I know you are passionate about uh, extraterrestrials, UFOs, all this type of crazy stuff. In the last year and a half, uh, there's been declassification and everything like that. Um, before we talk, really talk about that, what is your favorite uh, alien uh, sci-fi movie? Well, I mean, Alien was a fantastic movie. I think I saw that when I was 18 in the theater. And uh, 
Star Wars uh, started off started off great. I'm not so happy with it lately. I, I don't. I haven't. The first three, fantastic. Um, you know, those those movies I think influenced me a lot. They they uh, they were just really great to watch. Um, you know, Jaws was kind of sci-fi, or not. I guess it wasn't sci-fi. More of a horror, but that was another right. one that I really really loved. Like, uh, yeah. I would watch Predator and Aliens growing up, always well, thinking, oh, it's so robotic. But it's like, these are real, like Michael Peter Hall and Predator and all that. And these act, these men and women that would play these stunts for the actual aliens. It's, it really is crazy. You're part of an industry that can, a human can make something look so real. Uh, the, I, I was working with one of the stunt men, or maybe I can't remember his name now, but, but he was going down to work on Predator. And uh, um, he said, you know, we're looking for a tall guy in a suit, uh, you know, you know, would, would you be interested? And then I never heard anything about it again. But, uh, you know, yes, working in a suit, you know, is is it's the hardest job you'll do as a stuntman. Um, but uh, what was it the color of water? Yes. The shape of water. The shape of water. I mean, yeah. what a fantastic job he did. Doug that Jones, right? Is. I'm, I don't, I, I'm not sure of his name. I think it was Doug Jones. Yeah. Doug Jones. What a phenomenal job he does in makeup. And he's done a, he's done a bunch. And uh, that was just, uh, you know, fantastic. No, it really is. And uh, about the alien stuff, I've always been fascinated with it. And I've always wanted to believe that there's stuff out there. Yeah. What is it about that subject matter uh, that really kind of gets you engaged and wants to learn and kind of research about stuff, especially the last year or so, all the declassification uh, from all the UFO stuff? Right. Well, I'd like to preface this first by saying that I take everything with a grain of salt. Correct. You know, I, it, you, you, I, you know, it hasn't been proven to me yet, but I find the subject matter really interesting. And there's certainly some really, really compelling arguments and stuff. Um, you know, the, people are saying this new footage, these three um, videos of, of the, the, you know, the UFOs, uh, they're saying, well, I mean, we don't have anything like that. And we don't think they have anything like that. So that means that maybe it's not from uh, this world, which means there could be aliens. There's one other thing it could be. It could be a huge psyop, you right. know, to, to convince people for, for whatever reason at this point in history that there we that there are these uh, people visiting us. Um, what that could be, I don't know. The technology, the pilots, they're, you know, they're they're could they be testing this stuff on their on their own pilots uh, to see how convincing it is? Right. Who knows? I mean, Lou Elizondo's background is uh, counterintelligence. Yep. You know, it, 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 did they just give him a new job? You know, uh, I don't know. Right. Um, I'd like to, they say they've got much more convincing footage. Well, let's, let's get the evidence out there and see. It uh, is fascinating. It, it fascinating. Right. Yeah. It's very fascinating to live in this, this, this time now where they're actually, actually talking about this stuff. Like before growing up in the eighties for me, I was born in 85, nineties, the two thousands. It was like, oh, it's, oh, there's a book. There's a book, the president says all that. Um, it's you, Area 51, all this, but to see this stuff actually be more mainstream, I do think that is pretty cool. And it, like you, 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 like you said, you can't really. These videos are coming out from the like ships and naval ships and military people with 20, 30 year careers who've done reports on the stuff and it's finally coming out. It's like, well, 
I, t- I want to believe people, and uh, obviously yeah. there's some people we can't believe, uh, but the unknown is what's so fascinating. Well, I, I don't know if you know, but I worked on X-Files. I, was the, I did the yes. stunt coordinator on that for the pilot in the first two seasons. And, and uh, you know, around about that time, I think Whitley Stryber's book came out about alien abductions. And it was one of the reasons why the, why the show was such a big hit. Um, I'm really interested in the subject matter. I want to keep seeing new information come along and, and see where we go with it. Um, as well as uh, Graham Hancock's work, I mentioned that to you. Yeah, um, really mm-hmm. interesting theory, and you know he's he with with that accent of his, and he's such an eloquent speaker. It's you want to believe what he has to say. Um, I actually went to his website, and that, there was a little blurb there about uh, um, them discovering uh, elongated skulls in Ant- in Antarctica, and then I did some research and found out that it was probably a made up story. Um, so again, take things with a grain of salt, do your own research. Um, but that doesn't strike my, it doesn't stop my interest in it. No. And I think we talked about that earlier, but some of the Graham Hancock with the pre-civilization floods or Dr. Stephen Greer with the consciousness of CE5, uh, with alien, uh, intelligence, those yeah. people have a passion, um, and who are we to say your passion's wrong? They, they believe in what they're saying. They, they're researching, they're studying, they're talking about it. They're being courageous yeah. about it. And yeah. those types of people I love following because you, we see that passion in real terms. Stephen Greer is really interesting to me because of the whole consciousness thing. I yep. mean, uh, quantum physics, and, and I'm not an expert or anything like that, but quantum physics is coming up with some really, uh, I guess, uh, and, counterintuitive ideas on on life and how much our consciousness can affect uh, reality. And, and uh, I don't know, I think that uh, consciousness is, is, is needs to be studied so much more. And, and uh, have you heard of, I think it's called the World Consciousness Organization. Uh, I've heard of this. Yeah, so, so you know that they have all these random number generators set up all over the world. And uh, on a big event like 9-11, these random number generators turn non-random. In other words, they stopped, uh, they, they seem to be affected by the consciousness of the world. Right. Um, that's fascinating because if that, you know, if that was true, then what we think affects our reality. Um, right. You can go right down a rabbit hole on this, but uh, I find that stuff pretty interesting. Well, if, I mean, I, I hate talking. I, I never talk politics out here, but I think most majority of people agree that the media is so wherever the media is doing, it's I can't stand it. I, that's why I don't watch TV or whatever. But when you look at when media puts something out, the people believe what they hear or see or whatever. Obviously, now are they trying to control the consciousness of what people think and f- believe and feel? I mean, it, the whole thing is so fascinating. The fact that there are people that want to believe it and there are people that don't want to believe it or are trying to not let other people believe it. That where, that where that line meets is where I yeah. love just researching and kind of just trying to understand the whole thing. Yeah, it's, uh, again, you know, consciousness, quantum physics, they, one of the things in quantum physics is they, they say that every time you make a decision, it's like you split. And there's a, there's a reality where you said yes and a reality where you said no, which, which, if you take that to, if there was, a, if there is a God or a creator and it lived forever, 
what would be the one thing that would happen? You'd get pretty bored if you didn't have yes. diversity. Yes. And uh, so if that's true, if, if every time you make a decision, you create a new reality, well, how many reality shows are on TV right now? You know, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, right. it's, 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 it's interesting that, 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 that could be a possibility. And in, in, in which case, maybe, maybe if you believe there's something after life, maybe there is. If you don't believe there's something after life, maybe there isn't, you know. Right. It, and that's it, okay. That's, yeah. that's what I love that we could have these different views of yeah, this stuff. Yeah. Sure. One of the things, this must bother you too, though. Every time there is footage of a UFO, it's always never on like a professional camera. It's never broad daylight. It's never on like a full moon. Part of me just thinks, I, I know they, I, we, we, we all know they have better footage that's out there and what they put out there. But I do find it interesting that even if they give us a taste of it or a sniff of what this could be, it's always right. blurred or, oh, that guy that took the video was actually drunk. It was foggy out. It's just like, well, yeah. what is it? Like, you still can't explain what this is. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's that drone footage where the drone is following one of the ships and then it goes yes. into the water. Yes. Splashes down. Right, right. I mean, uh, so we, I, you know, I don't think there's a drone out there that they built right now that I know of that that goes from air to water, uh, um, but that doesn't mean that they couldn't build one. Right. And was it doing anything that a normal drone in the air that a normal drone couldn't do? I mean, was it was it exceeding the speed? Was it was it moving uh, in a, in a way that a drone would move all i saw was it moving along at a steady pace and then eventually it dropped into the water right. well is that, is that that you know it doesn't tell me much you know uh so again you know you gotta sort of think these things through a bit and and allow for the possibility that it could be <laughs> something you don't know about what would scare you more uh knowing that when it's an alien aircraft or that it's a man-made uh, weapon type thing that hasn't been released yet. Which one would scare you more? I'm I'm inclined to think that um, we haven't had any really bad experiences with UFOs. I mean, uh, there's there are stories about UFOs attacking in, in, yeah. in battle only after they attacked it, right? right? So so no UFO has ever shown up and been aggressive on its own. I mean, unless you, I, you have to count the people who say they've been abducted, of course, that 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 an aggressive action, but they seem to bring people back, um, you know. Right. Uh, so I would I I'm of the mind that, you know what, with all the things we're facing, global warming, um, you know, um, wars, uh, AI, pandemics, the possibility, right, right. pandemics. Uh, if they're out there and they can help us get through this really difficult time, because we're not facing one thing that could really harm mankind. We're facing multiple things that could right. harm mankind. And uh, so if they haven't done anything, you know, untoward so far, I'm of the mind that they're probably either benign or they want the, they want us to, you know, be successful. Um, they, you know, most of the UFO uh, people think that they're obviously really interested. They became most interested in us after we dropped the, after the bomb got dropped right. and they realized that we had the ability to destroy this world. And uh, you know, then you've got soldiers reporting that they're showing up at uh, nuclear missile silos and shutting them down or turning them on, basically showing, Hey, we've got control of this. So don't even bother kind of thing, you know? Right. And uh, so uh, I think if they're here, 
I think they're here for for a good purpose and not a not a bad one. It would just be so awesome to just be like he comes down there, they hey Ken, man, loved your work and uh, X Files, keep it going. Thanks for your help. We'll uh, we'll we'll talk in our minds. I think there's just <laughs> something to that where. In terms of the first two seasons of X Files, and I think the first four—I mean, the show has been was amazing. Um, and I even love the movies too because it, it talks about the unknown and the truth is actually out there. But those first two seasons, what episodes kind of hit close? Or which ones did you really gravitate towards in terms of maybe building your consciousness towards like learning more about aliens and stuff like that? Um, the show, I, you know, um. I got to be in one, uh, an episode yes. called Ice. And uh, so that was, and I even got a, a trading card, an X-Files trading card with my picture on it, out of it. So I was really happy with that episode. Um, you know, I had read up a lot on, on the alien abductions and stuff like that. Uh, I read Whitley Stryber's book and, uh, you know, it, it, so it didn't enlighten me a lot about the subject matter. I had already read quite a bit about it, and uh, I just thought it was very timely uh, to get it out there. But you'll notice that every uh, it was every second episode that they focused on, you know, the yes. UFO and the the abduction of his sister, and then the monster episodes were fantastic. I mean, yes. uh, my favorite one of that was the uh, the Fluke Man, yeah, uh, Fluke Man episode, and um, what was the episode called where he stretched. Um, and he would come down the chimney or whatever and kill people and they couldn't figure out how he got in the house and, and so that that was that was a really creepy one too no it's uh it's really cool and for you as we kind of wrap this up when it comes to movies television in the stunt world is it easier for you to kind of be on a show where it's, you know the people for the the longevity of the, the time you're on the show or is it easier for you to break up a movie based on stunts itself um you know, it all depends on the vibe of the people you're working with. You, you can walk in and, uh, you know, it's just negative. And uh, you you get in, you get out, and you're just happy to do it. And usually, you know, they say the shit runs downhill. So if you've got a producer or a director or an, or an actor that's making things difficult for everybody, you don't want to be there. It's not, it's not fun. But uh, I remember uh, I worked on um, Legends of the Fall. Oh, yeah. and and I had worked with Brad Pitt before and I'd worked with a bunch of the other actors before and I walked into the makeup trailer and uh, they all remembered me from various stunts I'd done with them and stuff and uh, and uh, Anthony Hopkins was in the trailer and he just turned around and he goes well I suppose I should get to know you my name's Tony and uh, you know the whole the, the whole vibe of the trailer was just so great right and uh, it was just such a fun show to work on because of that I find it interesting if you're with an if you're stunting for an actor who is having a bad day. I, I get how some people have a bad day and they don't mean to be that person. But if you are an an asshole in real life and you treat the crew like shit, the local people terrible, it, you as an artist yourself and a stuntman have to do this crazy stunt to make this person look good. But is it? Are there days where you could have just been like, you know what, this isn't for me. I I can't work this far because when it comes to the safety. In the back of your mind, you worry about your guy you're doubling that's being an asshole. And so how do you kind of deal with that? Or are you that type of person where in your prime doing all this stuff nonstop that you were just kind of like, you know what? I can pick and choose what I do. I know this. I've heard this guy's a prick or whatever. Like, how do you kind of separate the, the person from the actual job you're there for? Well, 
I, in some cases, most cases I have, but um, the only real stunt I ever turned down was a fight scene, I think, with Steven Seagal. Oh, damn it. Because he had such, he had such a bad reputation for, for hurting, hurting stuntmen. Yes. And uh, I personally knew one of the stunt guys, he stuffed his face into a, into a, a bureau and, and broke his teeth. And um, so many actors that I respect have bad stories about him and stuff. And, and I just have no desire to work with them. Right. Uh, you know, no respect for stunt people, little respect for anybody else. And, and uh, why, why go through that? Um, you know, uh, there's so many great actors out there that, that are fantastic to work with, that respect, you know, what you do and stuff. And, and uh, that's where you want to be. No, I love that. I love that you're able to do the stunt work and be in front of the camera as well uh, as the actor or the main piece there. And uh, it's just really cool. And I'm, I'm looking forward to your work you put out there, your writing and your stuff you're producing. And uh, I can't thank you enough for jumping on here, Ken. John, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. I, I wish I'd gotten to talk to you more about your security work. Uh, well, we'll do a part two. How about that? Anytime. Awesome. Thank you, sir. All right. You take care. Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel, find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.